everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. I'm Anthony Cazenza, and I am joined uh, kind of as the the mystery man, but as usual, my co-host, John Sheeran. John, are you there? How you doing, buddy? It's not a bad alias, the mystery man. Can you add some little, little layers to my personality, I think. I appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'm giving you a compliment. Uh, again, you know, for those, obviously, who have been tuning in live, uh, and who day everybody? I'm seeing a lot of people start starting to join the live YouTube chat. Who day to all of you? Good to have you with us, as as you usually are, um, as we record this show. I, I just want to throw this disclaimer out to those of you who may be new to the show, or those who are longtime listeners and are kind of wondering what's been going on the last few weeks in terms of maybe a little difference in audio, and for those who watch on YouTube, a little difference in video, that sort of thing. YouTube and Google Hangouts kind of threw us for a loop. We had been using that platform for the past few years, and uh, they changed everything as of August 1st. So we are kind of scrambling to um, come up with different, uh, to, to keep up and and come up with uh, the platform that, something that resembles the platform that we usually uh, have for you all. What we're, what we're trying to do, obviously, is keep the live show component. There are a number of Bengals fans who join us live, and we love interacting with them. We love hearing the comments. Obviously, they love interacting with each other and joining live, talking about uh, the Bengals and, and our discussion topics. I love uh, seeing John's beautiful face as well as his buddy Randall. If you remember Randall, the, uh, the spelt gentleman behind John. Uh, we you know Obviously, we like to have him via video. The audio quality needs to be there. And we're trying different software pieces. We're doing a lot of research, trying to put this stuff together to make sure that we give a similar and a great product uh, coming for going forward. So thanks for being patient with us the past few weeks. We're tying the loose ends up. We have been working on things behind the scenes. Hopefully you're still enjoying the show given some of the things that have been happening, but we appreciate your patience. We appreciate your listenership. Go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube channel and all of our audio uh, channels, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, however you listen to our podcast. Uh, we appreciate that. Leave us a rating. Also, if you want to get in touch with us and let us know, hey, yeah, we really do appreciate the live component, the live uh chat component, all that kind of stuff. We'd love to hear feedback on that. Or if you're more into just, you know, listening after the fact, let us know that as well. We want to hear feedback on the show. Um, always looking to improve, always looking to give a good product to everybody. So we appreciate everybody's support as we go forward. We have a jam-packed show tonight. In just a couple of minutes, we will have Ed Valentine of SB Nation's Big Blue View, the Giants website, joining us. He'll be joining us via phone, and we'll be talking about the upcoming matchup with the Giants and the Bengals, the, the preseason home opener for the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, and obviously a lot to talk about there. We'll be uh, talking about the, the performance against the Redskins and some news and notes with some other players. So um, excited to, to do that. And I, John, I want to thank you because I know you've been kind of working with me behind the scenes and, and being patient with things. So appreciate all, all that you do, my man. And uh, guys, like my microphone is, is fine. Like I, I, may, I might have sound underwater the past couple of weeks. I might sound underwater for this episode, but trust me, the, the good audio is coming. My mic is fine. Your ears are not messed up. It's just working through some stuff right now. And by the regular season, we should have things smoothly sailing. Yep. If you will. That, that is definitely the goal. And 
Um, we we do have, I believe, we have on the line. Uh, speaking of our special guest, we have Ed Valentine from from Big Blue View. Ed, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. How are you? Hey, good. Uh, we're doing we're doing well. It's Anthony Cazenza and my co-host John Sheeran. So hopefully you can hear us both pretty well. It's great to have you with us. Um, Right, let's just let's just dive right into it. The Bengals host the Giants coming up here in the dress rehearsal. You and I have kind of engaged in some conversations behind the scenes. Um, I, I guess we got to start here because there are some sour feelings about two particular players, potentially from both sides of the fence, John Jerry and Bobby Hart. Um, I, I asked you this in a in a post you graciously helped us out with the the five questions, but I'd love to hear you kind of verbalize potentially some positives from those players that Bengals could maybe latch on to because those guys seem to be having the inside track to the left guard spot, starting spot, and the right tackle starting spot for the Bengals. Well, Anthony, it's it's funny. As I have mentioned to you in some other forums, I John Jerry is not a bad NFL player. All right, at least he wasn't. I mean, he's been out of the league for a year. I don't know why he couldn't find a job as a backup somewhere a year ago after the Giants moved on from him. John Jerry started for the Giants for at least four years. He's a decent NFL guard, or at least he was. He's he's a decent pass blocker, not a very good run blocker. He's a guy that, that you know, stays pretty quiet in the locker room. He's a pro. He's, you know, he's a guy that, that I don't have a problem with. I just, you know, he just, as the Giants developed their offensive line, they, they wanted better run blocking. They wanted more athleticism and they moved on from Jerry. You know, but I, I don't have, I don't have any issues with him as an NFL player. I think the, the guy that, that Giants fans have issues with is Bobby Hart. For the simple reason that that in 2017, Bobby Hart stood in front of me in training camp and made the claim that he was the best right tackle in football. Wow. Then he went out and lost his job after six or seven games. And by the end of the year, he said he didn't want to play. He, he, refused, to, he refused to practice or suit up for the, for the final game of the season. And, and got himself cut. So Giants fans have issues with Bobby Hart. So those two weren't the only guys that the Bengals brought over from New York. They also brought over a couple of defensive guys and actually a defensive coach. Uh, this offseason, when the Bengals hired Lou Anaruma to be the defense coordinator and they signed B.W. Webb and Kerry Wynn, which of those guys were you as a Giants fan more disappointed about um, the team letting go for the Bengals? Oh, it's, it's Kerry Wynn by far. Kerry Wynn is a guy that Kerry uh, Wynn plays really hard. You know, he, came, he came to the Giants, I think, in 2014 as an undrafted free agent. And you kept sort of looking at this guy and thinking, how does he make the roster every year? Because he's not all that talented. There's nothing special about him. The only thing special about Kerry Wynn is how hard he plays. He plays really hard. He does anything you ask him to do. He'll play special teams and do a really good job of it. He's one of those guys that he's not going to star for you. He's not going to put up 10 sacks. 
but you're going to put him on the field and he's going to give you effort. He's going to give you everything that he has. And, and for a backup guy that's playing 15 or 20 snaps you know, in a game, he'll know what he's doing and he gives you effort. And you can't ask for a whole lot more than that. So for me, by far, it, it's Kerry Wynn. I think he's a guy that, that Bengals fans will like. Talking with Ed Valentine of Big Blue View and the Valentine's View podcast. I was privileged enough to be a part of that. Both this podcast and Ed's podcast are part of the SB Nation family of football podcasts. So uh, great to have Ed with us talking about the New York Giants, New York football Giants. Uh, talking, talking about the dress rehearsal coming up. We'll get to the game itself in just a minute. Ed, uh, again, I'm going to I'm gonna ask you a little bit of... Uh, Kind of a, a similar question to what I asked for the, the five questions, but I, I think it's still worth discussing. And obviously that's Lou Anarumo. There's a, there are a lot of connections that were kind of brought up as we engaged in discussions about this, this matchup and these two teams. And these two teams really aren't closely related, different conferences, divisions, all that good stuff. So, um, you know, Anarumo didn't spend a lot of time with the Giants, but it's his really his first true stint as an NFL defensive coordinator. Um, you know, he was an interim guy. So, your thoughts on him? This is a this is an inexperienced Bengals staff, including Anarumo, in the post that he's going to be taking with the team. Is there is there some reason to be confident for from a Bengals fan's perspective with Anarumo coming over as the coordinator? Well, it's just interesting because I think that the reason he ended up with this job is because Zach Taylor worked with Anarumo in Miami, you know, a few years back. I was a little bit surprised to see Anarumo get get a job as a defensive coordinator. He he seemed like we rarely got a chance to talk to him last year, but he seemed like a very quiet kind of guy, not a guy that sort of jumped up in front of you and got noticed. It, it's just hard to say for me what kind of coach he is because he didn't have much to work with last year. And the Giants secondary just wasn't very good, which which when you look at the roster this year, they completely turned it over. The only guy who's back from last year is Janoris Jenkins. So I, it, it's hard for me to judge Anarumo for the simple reason that that we only had a small sample size and the Giants just didn't really have much of anything to work with a year ago. And we got to talk about the quarterback, man. What is the plan with Daniel Jones going forward this year? And, and even for this game, what are your expectations for him, I guess, in the short term behind Eli Manning? Well, I think my guess is we talk about game three as a dress rehearsal, but you guys have seen how NFL teams are treating the preseason right now. I'm going to guess that you'll see more of Daniel Jones on, on Thursday night than you will Eli Manning. Although, you know, Pat Shermer has, has played that close to the vest. Every time somebody asks him about that, he just says, oh, it'll reveal itself. You guys will figure it out when you see it. So, but I'm going to, I'm, I'm expecting Jones to play quite a bit tomorrow. As for the long-term plan, 
everybody has a different idea of what it should be and when Daniel Jones should take over. And there are those who think Jones should be the week one starter. And there are those who think that Jones should take over the first time the Giants lose two games in a row. And, and, and you know, there are those who think Eli Manning should have been run out of town three or four years ago. But the Giants, rightly or wrongly, still believe in Eli Manning. They still think they can win with Eli Manning if they put talent around him, if they put a good offensive line in front of him, which they believe they've done for the first time in a long time, and, you know, finally given him an offensive line that, that can make him comfortable. The way I think this is going to go is – Eli Manning's going to start the season as long as the season goes well for the Giants, as long as they're playing reasonably good football, and as long as they're in playoff contention, you know, realistic playoff contention, I believe Eli Manning will continue to play. If and when they fall out of contention or if they get off to a one and six start like they did last year, one and seven start then there's no reason for Manning to play. Then they simply have to go to Jones. And I think that's, I think that's how it's going to go. As long as the Giants consider themselves to be a, a, you know, a playoff contending team, they're going to stay with Eli. Talking with Ed Valentine of Big Blue View and the Valentine's View podcast, part of the SB Nation family of podcasts, which uh, this podcast is part of as well. Good to have Ed with us talking about the, the quote-unquote dress rehearsal coming up here um and it's it's really difficult to kind of sit here and talk about you know what what are you looking to see out of out of a preseason game i mean obviously you want to see the lower end depth chart guys you want to see who maybe makes some plays to um make a, to make a roster bid but these two teams are kind of in a lot of people's eyes in a similar boat, but potential rebuild a coach early, if not starting their new tenure with the team. Um, you know, a lot of uh, some veterans that are maybe on the hot seat a little bit. So, I mean, I guess what, what are giants fans hoping to, and the giants themselves, what, what are they hoping to take away from this game? Because obviously the wins and losses don't truly matter in the summer, but what are they looking to really achieve or take away aside from staying pretty healthy? Well, I think you always want to see in whatever limited fashion your starters play. You want to see something that looks like competent football, something that gives you confidence going forward. For example, in the opening preseason game for the Giants, starting offense and the starting defense basically played one series on offense the the Giants went three and out and on defense they gave up a long drive and a touchdown and last Friday against the Bears same scenario where the offense basically played one series and the defense played a little bit longer than that but you got a touchdown drive out of the offense and you got a stop for a field goal you know, out of the defense. So you saw you saw some better play. You saw some competent play. And, and I think that's, that's all you want out of your starters is something that looks like competent play. But for me at this point, we'll be what? Tomorrow night we'll be nine days away from teams having to set their 53-man rosters. So it's all about 
looking for those guys at the end of the roster. You know, those, those guys, every team's got bubble players. Every team's got decisions to make. Every team's looking for help, you know, across the league. So for me, it's all about those guys who are going to win those last few roster spots. Ed, if there's one player on either side of the ball that Bengals fans should keep an eye out for, that they may not know just off, off the top of their heads from John Trostler, who, who is that guy that you're looking for to maybe make his name, make his name known more for tomorrow night? Well, I don't know if I don't know if it's a guy that that's exactly what you're you're talking about here, but the guy that I think anyone across the NFL should probably be aware of at this point is Corey Ballantyne, the the sixth round pick out of Washburn. If if you know his story, you know the Giants drafted him in the sixth round. He went out that night with his friend Dwayne Simmons, and they were victims of a drive-by shooting in which, mm. you know, Ballantyne was hurt. His friend Simmons was killed. And this kid, since he came back, you know, and, and since he rejoined the team, this kid has done nothing but shown class in the way that he's handled himself, in the way that he stood in front of the media and, and explained what happened and and how he's tried to move forward. And right now, the amazing thing about this is he he's not a sixth-round draft pick. He, he doesn't look anything like a sixth-round draft pick out of a Division II school. This kid looks like a player. This kid looks like a really good NFL player. You'll see him at corner. You'll see him returning kickoffs. I mean, I think this kid, he's a class act, and I think this kid's going to be a really good NFL player. I mean, he's, and he's a great story just because of the, of the background, but but I, I think that in the end that, that story might just become, you know, part of the, part of the background because this kid can play. So I, I vaguely now, it's kind of jogging my memory a little bit. I, I remember that story. So I'm going to kind of end – on this, and it's kind of a package question because there is uh, there were a couple of questions by one of our listeners in our live chat, basically asking uh, is from Will Smith, who's going to catch the ball for the Giants, a wide receiver, if you know, uh, with Golden Tate suspended and Shepard hurt, who's left? Um, so I mean, that's part of the question, but the overarching question is what what are your expectations for the Giants? You know, this game aside, this preseason game aside, what is what are your expectations for the Giants going forward in 2019? Is this a team that um, may may make a surprising playoff push because of some weakness in the division or in some turmoil in Dallas? Or is this a team still that uh, may be a year away and will turn the reins over to Daniel Jones in 2020? Well, let me, let me answer both parts of that. The first part is the wide receiver question. And I think what you're going to see from the Giants, and even with Golden Tate in the lineup, you know, after his four-game suspension, you're going to see a team that, that doesn't rely on one guy, that doesn't force the ball to one wide receiver. I mean, as great as Odell Beckham was when you watched the Giants at times, it was obvious that they were forcing the football to him to the detriment of the offense, maybe to the detriment at times of Eli Manning and, you know, and just throwing the ball in his direction, probably at times when they shouldn't. 
you're going to see a team that spreads the ball around a lot more. They're going to try to to match up Saquon Barkley in a lot of different ways, your run game, pass game. I think you might see Evan Ingram, who's in his third year as the tight end. If he can stay healthy, I think we've only sort of scratched the surface of what that young man can do as a pass receiver in the NFL. He may be the guy who winds up being the number one receiver on this team. But I think the Giants are, by and large, going to spread the ball around. They're going to try to create a lot of traffic in the passing game with a lot of crossing routes and, and, and underneath stuff and, and bunch routes and, and all of that kind of stuff and just try to create, you know, openings with the way that they design the passing game. So, because they don't have that, that one dominant outside guy anymore, even even with Golden Tate and even with Sterling Shepard. So, as for expectations for the season, you're, you're right. I think you mentioned before that, you, that the Bengals and the Giants are a little bit in the same kind of, in the same kind of place where they're building, where they're trying to, they're trying to establish something, and and it, it doesn't look like much, but they point to 2017. You know, when, when everything went sideways for the Giants, they won three games, and they point to last year and they say we won five games, and we should have won, we should have won a few more because we couldn't make stops on defense in the last two minutes of the game. And they're probably right there. And I, and I think this year they're looking at if they can win seven, eight, nine games and, and show progress, I think that's what you're looking at for the Giants. You're not looking at a team that's an 11 or 12 win team, but I don't think you're looking at a team that's a three win team either. I think you're looking at a team that that is getting better, that's got reason to think it's pointed in the right direction. But that might that might be a year away. We we have to find out, you know, what happens when Daniel Jones eventually takes over. Whether that's at some point this year, whether it's a year from now, we've got to find out what kind of NFL quarterback he is. But I, you know, but I I think there's reason for Giants fans to think that that they're going in the right direction. Well, all of that sounds very familiar around these parts, yeah. uh, with the with the exception of the the first round quarterback. Uh, that's that all of that sounds really really familiar. Uh, Ed, thanks for your time, man. Uh, just for our listeners, how can people uh, find you? Find your work? Follow you on social media? And uh, obviously, listen to to our little interaction not only on this show but uh, from your show as well. It's the Valentine's Views podcast, as you guys said, and, and you, know, you can find links to it on, on the Big Blue View website. You can follow me on Twitter at Valentine underscore Ed or at at Big Blue View. Um, you know, it's BigBlueView.com for, for uh, anybody that wants to read about the Giants. So, and, and we appreciate your, uh, we appreciate uh, you guys having, having me on. Uh, the show that uh, that uh, Anthony and I recorded earlier, we actually recorded it earlier today. That show hits tomorrow morning, so uh, it's a kind of a game day preview show. So hopefully folks will give that a listen as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for the time, man. I know it's late around your your neck of the woods, so appreciate you tuning in, you uh, you joining us, tuning in, and, and giving all your insight. And uh, we'll, well you be know, sure. I, I, I have to have. 
have some reason not to fall asleep in front of my laptop. <laughs> well, enjoy, enjoy the game tomorrow, and uh, we'll hopefully we'll catch up soon. All right, thank you. Take it easy. That was Ed Valentine from Big Blue View, uh, the SB Nation New York Giants site. So pretty, pretty excited to have him. Obviously, very entertaining guy, very knowledgeable guy. And go, so go check out his podcast. And we were excited to have him on ours as well. Uh, pretty cool stuff. And obviously, um, that's some of the stuff we we have not been able to do, given the fact that there's only been two preseason games. So hopefully, we'll get some more guests from the other side of the fence throughout the rest of what's left of the preseason as well as definitely during the regular season. So our thanks to Ed Valentine. Uh, again, go check out his stuff. And if you're new to this show, you can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform, as well as on YouTube and cincyjungle.com. All of our stuff is there. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts. John, I guess let's, let's rewind... And then we'll – do we want to rewind or, and, and talk about Washington first, or do we want to keep talking about the Giants since we just talked to Ed? I'll let you decide. Uh, let's, let's, let's cover first things first, I guess. Let's, let's rewind. Okay, let's go chronologically. It's the, it's, the, it's the responsible thing to do, I suppose. So the Bengals got their first win in the Zach Taylor era. Um, if, I mean, if you want to count a preseason win, I mean, a win is a win, sure. Take but what we can get here. That's, that's exactly right. Um, so they got their first win under Zach Taylor. There have been, um, you know, the the takeaways from that game are obviously mixed, right, John? I mean, um, you, you get a win. You get a win against a team on the road. You get a win against a team that you feel maybe talent-wise is either a little lesser than you, maybe around the same wavelength as you. So, um Either way, and it's a guy who's familiar with a lot of against a guy who's familiar with a lot of players on your team. So you, you got to like that. But the penalties, the poor play on the offensive line, still a theme. Your thoughts? Yeah, and it was tough initially on, on first viewing to really evaluate what was going on with all the penalties. And you had just kind of wish that Ed Hockley's son, who was the head referee, would just take a the guns and not be on camera. Yeah, yeah the, the, the guns need some work, I guess. Yeah, he's thirty years younger, but and he's not Ed. But <laughs> Yeah, regardless, like, yeah, like, it, it was it was tough watching it. It's already preseason football, and then you add penalty after penalty after penalty in, in, in on every play on the first drive, and it's like, what am I watching? And at the end of the first drive, you have a pick six off of a tip pass, so it was a whirlwind, but after rewatching it, you kind of got the, the, you kind of got the sense that the offensive line was still working through a lot of things, and the two new starters, and Michael Jordan and Jerry Hawkins, were doing some, were doing some positive things in pass protection, and for the most part, the offense was uh, at, at the end of the first quarter starting to move the ball a little bit better. But, the, I mean, the storyline is obviously Ryan Finley. And the fact that the game looks so much more smoother, the offense looks so much more poised, 
with him under center with, with, with the rest of the second team. And he really took advantage of, of the, the Redskins' um, second-string defense. And there was a really big difference between, I guess, going up against Washington's backups, going up against Kansas City's backups, because obviously Washington didn't, didn't pull away and Bengals got the uh, 17-0 second-half run, mostly under Finley. So that was good to see for him to really establish himself as the backup quarterback. And the guys he was going to, Drew Sample looked a lot better in this game. Damian Willis yeah. actually showed up after having a non-existent performance against Kansas City and should have had that touchdown because, again, of the penalty that probably shouldn't have been thrown. And the defense looked a lot more alive. The pass rush looked a lot better, specifically yeah. with the first team without Geno Atkins or Carlos or Carl Lawson, Kerry Wynn, Jordan Willis. They, those guys stepped up in a big way. Mm-hmm. Jermaine Pratt looked good. He looked like the first competent linebacker we've seen um, in preseason so far. So definitely a lot of takeaways, specifically with with the first four or five draft picks. Ronald Wren played a lot. Michael Jordan played a lot. And it was a lot of positives with that in terms of guys who needed to develop pretty quickly. And a win is a win, but also how they got that win was very promising towards the later portion of the game. So as you weigh the pros and cons in this game, and I don't want to spend a, a lot of time talking about it because we've got more to get to, but obviously it's a win and it's a it's a it's a game, so we got to cover it. But I mean, as you go through the pros and cons of the game, right? You mentioned a lot of them: the rookies getting playing time uh, and playing well at times. The Alex Erickson punt returned some of the big the big you know the big plays from different people um you know you, you go on the other side the sloppy play the inconsistency of the offensive line continued concerns there again i i gotta ask this from i probably asked you it last week i mean what where are you more leaning towards after now a better performance and a win probably against a lesser team but on the road um, despite all the issues and some of those positives we've seen, are, are you are you more encouraged this week? Obviously, because it's a win, or are you still kind of saying it's preseason? A lot of guys out of the lineup. I don't know what to think. Yeah, um, I, I think it only confirms more than how inconsistent this team is capable of being on a week to week basis. And obviously, having all those guys continue to be out and continue to be rested for for precautionary reasons, that definitely clouds. Um, clouds at evaluation, I guess. But, yeah, like, uh, again, it really could depend on just who they're playing on, on a week-to-week basis and what works and what doesn't. And we still have to figure out how they're going to adjust to, you know, if, if things don't end up going the way they want to, if the running game continues to not um, work out early in the game, if they're going to lean on, you know, more of a pass-centric offense in the beginning. And when you don't have Eifert only playing one snap and you don't have A.J. Green, you don't have John Ross, how difficult can that be? And, yeah, so I, I just think, them being inconsistent is nothing that surprises me at this moment. So th- this first two weeks start is nothing that really blows me out of the water, really adjusts where I think this team is tr- projected to go forward d- during this year. So you mentioned Finley's performance. I believe he was 20 of 26 for 150 yards, two touchdowns, zero interceptions. Last week against the Chiefs, he had one touchdown, one interception, but I think he completed like his first – you know, however many nine passes or so. So a, a pretty solid performance aside from a late interception against Kansas City in week one. Is this a product of, and, and then, you know, on the flip side, Andy Dalton throws that pick six. There's debate on who you want to blame on that. But um, I, I guess with Finley, are, are you chalking that up more to, you know, Pretty pretty decently talented college player who is now making the leap to the pros and going up against reserves and playing well as he should against reserve players. 
Um, or I, I don't know. I mean, are, are you, are you overly confident in what you're seeing with Ryan Finley at this point in time? Or is this just kind of fool's gold? No, not overly confident at all. Because at the end of the day, when you look at what Finley's doing, it's nothing too out of the ordinary. Now, the things that he's doing well is stuff we're not used to seeing with Andy Dalton because he looks very calm and poised in the pocket and he's able to reset his feet, keep his eyes downfield. These are all very rudimentary things for an NFL quarterback to do. And the fact that he is 24 years old, going to be 25 in December, he was one of the He's one of, if not the oldest college prospect coming into the NFL this year. So naturally, being six years of college quarterback will give you time to develop those certain traits. But the things that he doesn't do is why he's, he's going to continue sitting on the bench. His arm is not that live. He can't really push the ball down the field that much. I think Jake Lisko of Lockdown Bengals tweeted this out uh, shortly after the game. The difference between him, Finley, throwing outside the numbers and in between the numbers is very vast. And that's where the majority of Finley's production was coming from. And honestly, we can't really see everything without, you know, from from the broadcast angle. But most of the time, he's really just checking the ball down and keeping everything in front of him and not really pushing the ball down the field that much. And that was honestly a, a, a big red flag for Finley and the fact that he doesn't have tremendous arm strength yet and he can't really fit into those tight windows. And some of those throws he's making right now, those windows will be a lot tighter when you have a starting defense out there in the fall. So the things we sh- we're seeing right now, we can be encouraged by because these are the things that Finley was supposed to do well early and the numbers look great because of it, but we're not at the point where he should be challenging Dalton because there's still certain things right. that he can't do and he's not going to be able to do this year or maybe even the year after that. So what we have right now is fine, but it's not enough to really start a conversation. To be clear and to be crystal clear, I was not, that was not the implication no, no, of, of uh, I, I know you don't think are, that, but there are people who, who are thinking that. We right. Have to, we have to Right, right, um, and it's been a it's been a week for comments from the peanut gallery. I'll tell you. Um, so, I, I guess my my thing when I look at this game and I look at the the scope of the preseason with the Cincinnati Bengals, I like the fact that they're resting guys, um, and, and they've they've told us right. I mean, they've been open. If we're healthy, we think we can win. Right. And so how do you stay healthy? You rest your important players. You rest guys who are nicked up. You rest guys that are that fall under both categories. But I, I still worry that some of these guys, even if they are veterans, some of these guys aren't going to potentially see any preseason action. Is that a, a valid concern or is that some, especially for a, a veteran? Or do you feel that that is something where it's maybe just kind of like, well, I mean, it's just extra snaps and it's more risk. Why, why do that? Yeah. The, the one guy that I think we're both thinking of is John Ross. And the fact that I, a lot I, of talk about him in the YouTube chat, by the way. Yeah. Like Ross probably isn't going to play this preseason unless he gets healthy next week and maybe plays a drive or two for week four. But like, I don't really care if Gene Atkins doesn't play. He's going to play this week, but I don't care if he doesn't play at all. Same thing probably goes to Carlos, and I kind of know who those two are at this point. Um, AJ Green not playing, and again, I want to stay healthy. Obviously, he can't play, but I, I think with a guy like Ross, you just want to see how he fits in the system, not, not as much as how much he's improved, because I think we all know he's, the talent was never the issue with him. It's always just a fit in whatever offense he was in his overall confidence level. And that confidence isn't going to magically get there without without playing. So you want to see him out there because you want to see him actually produce something and give you something to kind of fall back on and, and bank on your confidence with. So for me, that's the one guy that I wanted to see out there. And I wanted to see him this week. He was supposed to practice, practice this week, but unfortunately it got pushed off um, up until next week. Darkus Bernard, I guess, is another guy who, who fit that description. But 
unfortunately, he might even stay on the on the physically un- unable to perform list through, throughout the first six weeks of the season. So, luckily, BWF has done well in his absence and has done well to really establish himself as that starter. But as far as guys who just haven't been able to play, like Rodney Anderson, I I, I have a good idea of what he is, and I'm, I'm glad they're, they're they're keeping caution with him. Gino and Carlo, Carl, the same thing. But yeah, really, I think Ross is like I guess the one guy who wanted to were like. Yeah, I'm happy he's not playing because he's not liable to get hurt, but I kind of need to see something if I'm going to have any confidence in him in the season. Right, and, um, you know, week one comes around. You've been resting these guys. The hope is that most, if not all of them, are available so that you actually are trotting out maybe even a better product on the field than what you've been showing in the preseason. One more kind of question slash topic to talk about before we move on to another. Uh, you know, this – the first two weeks, and especially, we we mentioned it earlier when we kind of started talking about this game, the, the flags and the penalties are just ridiculous. Where I sit, some of them are very ticky-tack calls, and this year it seems as if the offensive holding is going to be called quite frequently, but also there's a little bit of an indictment that has to be pointed out that, you know, the talent, just talent level at certain spots that are gaining these penalties um that's worrisome but overall i kind of think that it's a little bit flag happy maybe even the refs working out some kinks in the preseason but also some issues in terms of personnel ability level all of that your thoughts yeah like it's 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 not anything to be surprised about seeing a bunch of flags in the preseason that's that's just what happens every year but we'll just hammer Hammering it down in guys' heads that, hey, you know, don't, don't do this right in the season. We're going to flag you now. We're probably not going to flag you for the same exact thing in the regular season. But looking back on just some of the, some of the holding calls to the offensive line, the, most of them, if not all of them, will, will probably not get called in the regular season. And honestly, if we want to get into the whole discussion about what is actually a hold, there might probably needs to be an overhaul of what constitutes and what the rest need to be looking for. Because most of the time, it, it's like it, it's, it's, it, it, it's, if the guy's hands are too wide – and it prohibits the defender from shedding and getting off the block. But for most of those holds, for, I'm talking about C.G. Zoma, John Miller, even Cordy Glenn for one, the, the defenders had no problem getting off the block. It was just the fact that it happened a little bit too late and the defender just lost the ball for a quick second and it looked like he was being prohibited with, with outside hands. But when you look at, when you look back on the replays and whatnot, they, they're, they're not necessarily holds that you would normally see in, in a regular NFL season game. And I think... Um, one of the analytics guys on Twitter last season posted that 60% of offensive holds come on running plays. And I think all of them except one were on a running play, so that matches up as well. But like, obviously, you don't want to see a lot of flags in the preseason because it's already preseason football. But that's the nature of the preseason. There's going to be just a lot of flags because refs want to hammer in the idea that you know, please don't do this regular season. So it, it's kind of just an unwinnable battle for for viewers, I guess. And we just got to kind of battle through it, I guess. But I don't think. Most of the holds, or if not all the holds that we saw on, in week two, will, will be called uh, during the regular season because, for the most part, they were just fundamental blocks. Pretty much one of the worst nights possible for a for a player. Uh, speaking of CJ Uzama, um, one catch, one yard, and three penalties. Two of which I think at least two of them were holds. So, um, not 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 exactly how you want to draw up a night for for your newly inked. Uh, you know, free agent acquisition there, but uh, a reacquisition, I guess I should say, but um, you know, 
overall, there are positives, there are negatives. Um, it's preseason, so sloppy play is to be expected a bit. But Bengals get the win against the Redskins, 23-13, thanks to a couple of big special teams plays and some good play by Ryan Finley, a couple of nice plays on defense, and obviously holding a team to 13 points on the road is a great, great improvement after allowing 38 points on the road to a Chiefs team the week before. I'm going to segue. I'm going to, I'm going to try and segue from the Washington game and into the Giants game with some specific news about a player that I wanted to address and we wanted to talk about. One of the, one of the fan favorite players has been Christian Westerman, a guy, especially since the departure of, of you know Kevin Zeitler and whatever's been going on with Clint Bowling. He is a guy that a lot of fans had hoped to see get some extensive playing time. For whatever reason, there are a lot of rumors. There are some other, you know, kind of rumblings. He has not been able to crack the starting lineup. And but when he has, whether it's in preseason or brief stints in regular season games, he has played well. For those who do not know, really over the last week, there was, I don't know if you want to call it a threat. I don't know what you want to call it, but Christian Westerman basically left the team on a uh, on an exempt list and was contemplating retirement. We don't really know the details as to what. We don't really, you know, it could be a family issue. It could be he's lost the, the love of football. I, I don't know. Um, he, he may feel that he's way too far down the pecking order of the depth chart. I want to get your thoughts. Let, let, let me get your thoughts initially on what's going on there. He he has returned to the Bengals, so uh, he has made a decision to continue to work out with the team. We'll see if he ends up making the team and where he's at in the depth chart. But I want to get your overarching thoughts on what's going on with Westerman, where he's at in the depth chart battle. And then I've got another question for you, but let's start there, John. Yeah, I think with, with Westerman – his, his support group is, like you said, always been on the outside of the organization because fans just see what happens on Sundays and in the preseason. And for the most part, like you said, he's always just been a gamer. He's always just been able to get the job done. He's been practically one of their better offensive linemen for the past three or four years when that unit has been nothing but dog crap. So the problems with Westerman were always, you know, how he meshes with the rest of the, of the unit and meshes with the coaching staff. And there were some people who – initially want to say maybe the offensive line coach Jim Turner has something to do with this and the fact that not only Western retired but Ken Perkins retired and maybe that maybe his past is kind of creeping up again. But the thing Westerman is he's already had three offensive line coaches and he's never been able to exceed past the second string of the of, of the offensive line. So I, I think there has to be just a conversation of what that what that does on your mental psyche as a player. As someone who was a, a very good college player, someone who was drafted, someone who probably should be starting at this point, has never exceeded anything more than just being a backup at this point. Four years in the NFL is a little bit longer than the average career length, but you just never are able to exceed your own expectations of yourself for, for whatever reason. And it's not just one coach, it's three coaches now who have coached him and have just not given him that opportunity. So initially, when, when he was dealing with these personal issues or whatever, my first thought was that he's just – he just realizes that he's just, he just doesn't have what it, what it takes or, or what it is. He just, and he's, just doesn't have that drive anymore to really ascend to where he wants to be. But the fact that he's back now puts every one of those assumptions up in the air because now we have no idea what was going on. We have no idea if it was something temporary that he just had to, that he thought he couldn't play through, but now he has some sort of surge of confidence to do so. And those five or six days that he missed 
honestly, like the offensive line, I don't want to say it's set, but it would be so it's so much harder now for him to work his way back on the roster than if he if he had just stayed and tried to battle for one of those backup spots. But regardless, it was tough for him to really get onto the fifty three with how much that they like Michael Jordan, how much how much reps that John Jerry was getting. But but now it's just it's even more up in the question about well, what really is his plan? What are the Bengals' plans with him? Because they can't practice about him. He's already been on the roster for three years. And honestly, I don't think he's all of a sudden bad for, for whatever reason, but he just can't get on the field. And honestly, I, I thought that had a lot to do with his initial decision and, and, and just had an unfortunate negative effect on his mental psyche. Right. I mean, on one from one standpoint, if you want to talk about the passion of football and, and all of that, um, anybody who's played sports at any reasonably high level – can probably tell you that practices aren't that fun, but the games are awesome, you know, and, and if you're practicing, 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 and you're not really getting any game time, uh, that may wear on you. Uh, maybe that's what's going on. Um, you know, hopefully this second scenario isn't the case where it's something with his family or friends or something that uh, caused him to not be able to concentrate on football. I think a lot of us who um, have had something happen to them or uh, something going on that is affecting them emotionally. Um, it makes it very difficult to concentrate at work. So, um, you know, I, that from all of that can be understood. The rumblings that we've heard before this incident has gone on here has been he has trouble grasping the playbook. Sometimes he's not getting the right blocking assignments, that sort of thing. It hasn't been truly substantiated, but that's some of the stuff we've heard. I guess I want to where I kind of want to go next, and I kind of don't want to, but I think it's something that needs to be discussed because it may be a a tinfoil hat type of thing. But you know, you got Clint Bowling who retired. Yeah, he had a, a health issue. You got this this kid Westerman who's contemplating retirement. Um, you've got you know uh, the John Jerry coming in late as a coach favorite. I don't know. Is there a Jim Turner effect? I hate to bring up his past, but there is a stigma there. There's a couple stigmas there. Do you think any of that is, is it play his coaching style playing favorites with John Jerry, any of that? Most people who, who know me and follow me on Twitter, they knew that I wasn't a fan of hiring Jim Turner for the things that happened in his past. And because of his track record, it's hard to give him the benefit of the doubt when something like this comes up. But I'm not willing to jump to the conclusion that this is ultimately tied up with him. I think with, with Perkins, I mean, Perkins was just a, a barely practice squad caliber player who had a completely outside chance of making the roster. And sometimes guys like that are just like, you know, I, being a back doesn't really work for me anymore. I, I, I want to pursue other interests in my life. And I mean, football's just not that anymore. That could have been the same thing with Christian Westerman. Again, like, to, to have three offensive line coaches in, in four years and none of them seem to display any sense of faith in you, it, 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 it would probably anger a lot of people in that situation. You don't think of football players being being like everyday workers, but if you have three managers who completely underutilize you and you have no way of, of getting around that and, and, you, and you don't think you have the stomach to really demand a trade or demand a release, you're just like, I'm, I'm just done with this. And, and – Maybe whatever Jim Turner has done as a coach really pushed him to that point, but I'm not sure I want to fully blame this on the offensive line coach who unfortunately has had a bad pass, but again, sometimes he's got to go innocent until proven guilty. 
Yeah, uh, there was a, a commenter in the in the live YouTube chat, uh, the Aries three two three. What is his track record? Well, I, I we we could go on for a long time. Go, 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 go. Look him up. Go Google him, um, and you can find some stuff that he's been involved with. Um, you know, I think obviously he's respected as a football coach uh, on a variety of levels, but that's um, you know that's there are some other things at play here so that's why I guess that needs to be brought up but Christian Westerman is back with the Bengals at least for now we'll see what his chances are with making the final roster this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast he's John Sheeran I'm Anthony Cazenza we have had a jam-packed show talking about the win against the Redskins we've been uh, talking about the the Giants game coming up. We'll continue to talk about that. And then we uh, had Ed Valentine from Big Blue View join us and talk about all things Giants, the other side of the fence. We got it. We got to hear from him. So that was pretty cool. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play. You can get it on the Megaphone platform as well as on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. We appreciate all of the support that you have shown us john i guess it's time to uh time to talk about the upcoming matchup with the Bengals hosting the first time they're playing at home in 2019 the first home game with the uh, in the zach taylor era that paul brown stadium will have a Bengals game so that's kind of exciting are you going to that game i am not okay no. Okay. Um, I'm not either. Shocker. Uh, but it, it should be an interesting game. Um, you know, this on paper, I think a lot of people would say, I mean, especially because it's at home that the Bengals should win this game. Again, win losses in the preseason don't really mean all that much. But, you know, I, I don't want to sound like a broken record and ask you once again, who are you kind of watching and stuff. But I'll ask kind of a similar question I asked Ed earlier what do you think the Bengals should be looking to achieve specifically this week? If you could pick out like two aspects that you would like, that you think that they, sh- they will be focusing on and that they would like to walk away from this game and say, we did that. We feel good about the result here. The Giants pass for us is nothing really to be scared of, but I think they just want to see some, some form of consistency and solidarity with the offensive line. Um, we're not sure, at least me and you, are not sure about who's starting at left guard and center this week. I think it was Billy Price and Michael Jordan taking the first team reps at center and left guard respectively. So that might be who's out there and along with Andre Smith and left tackle this week because Cordy Glenn is out with a concussion. But I think the focus probably starts up there and on the defense, on the defense side of the ball, I, I think they want to try to limit Saquon Barkley as much as possible without really adjusting how they want to shape up their defense. I think they want to stay in nickel for the most part, because that's kind of what they've been doing for most of this offseason. And um, limiting the amount of linebackers on the field is always good for the Bengals. And <laughs> just keeping Preston Brown and Nick Vigil out there in, in, in their nickel sets um, and, and, and limiting Saquon Barkley from really exploding in the passing and run game as much as possible. I think those are the two things that they probably should key on in terms of their own self-evaluation and it, it, at least keeping them competitive with, uh, with the Giants team. That, for all intents and purposes, like you said, is kind of in the same boat as the Bengals. Probably looking at last place or third place finish in their respective divisions. A lot of questions going on about the future, but overall, the Giants team is not very talented, 
And I didn't want to say that in front of Ed, but it's kind of true. Mm-hmm. Like they, they lost Odell Beckham, they, they gained Kevin Seiler, they lost Landon Collins, they lost BW Webb and Harry Wynn. However major or minor those losses were, but the defense is nothing special. And the Bengals offense, if it clicks, if the if the pass protection or blocking is at least serviceable, it should be able to put points on the board in the first half. Again, Eli Manning is not very scary. It, it won't be tremendously hard for the Bengals pass trust to pressure be what was supposed to be a you know, rebuffed offensive line, but unfortunately, Giants offensive line isn't that much better than what it used to be. So this is a game in the regular season that the Bengals should win. Unfortunately, the Giants are not on their schedule in the regular season, but I think they just want to see some form of solidarity with the offensive line and not letting Saquon Barkley run all over them. Xbox Scott says, I'll be there tomorrow night. Uh, have fun, Scott. Um, at least you'll probably see a lot of players play more extensively than uh, some of the more higher profile players play more extensively than you have the first couple of, of games here. But how far do you think that this game is going to go in the determination of some of these open starting spots, maybe on the offensive line, some of these back end roster spots, or is this one of those rare preseasons where, you know, this is kind of an open competition thing, new coach, and it's going to last four weeks before, you know, all, it, it takes all four games for the decisions to be made by this coaching staff. I think it's just the wait and see situation. Like from the words of Turner and Taylor, they said they don't know until the ball snapped week one in Seattle, which is obviously a lie. But reading between the lines, there, I think, I think we just have to assume that they're going to play this out. And like you know, under the last administration under Lewis and his offensive line coaches, if there was ever an offensive line competition, it was usually you know set by week three, like. Week three, week three of last preseason, we kind of knew what the offensive line was going to be. We knew Alex Redman and Bobby Hart were going to start at right guard and right tackle. Billy Price is probably going to start tomorrow at center. Michael Jones is probably going to start at left guard. But we honestly don't know if that if those two are going to be the guys. We, we can assume that those guys are leading the competition. But with you know new faces running everything, we just can't assume that everything is really going to be the same as it had by me because, in my opinion, you can't have you can't field a Bengals offensive line right now without including Trey Hopkins. Wherever he end, wherever he is supposed to end up, he should probably end up on that starting line. But you know, with, with Price continuing to deal with an injury, they like the ascension of Jordan. There's just a lot of unknowns right now in terms of who is the best fit at, at those particular positions. And even on the on the, the on the defensive side of the ball, you have Jordan Wilson, Kerry Wynn. Presumably, if there's only going to be nine spots, presumably fighting for that spot. Maybe they keep ten and they keep like an Andrew Brown, and both of those guys are safe. You know, how much that Brown plays early on the game because he was with the first team nickel last week. That, that that could be an indicator as well. Whether or not Willis or Wynn gets on the field first, that could be an indicator as well. How's the rotation with the linebackers going to be when they get to the second team? Is, is Pratt going to see any reps in front of Jordan Evans when they're in base at, at that weak side linebacker spot? Is Nickerson and, and um, Jefferson like still the fifth and sixth linebackers there? There's going to be a lot of stuff we're going to find out because, like you said, the starters are going to play more and we're going to see who fills in behind them, and we're going to get a good indication about where those battles are going forward. Spencer Meyer, uh, there's a lot of talk, by the way, in the in the live YouTube chat in terms of what people are looking for. Um, better tackling and more tempo on offense, Will Smith says. Uh, LIP says agree with Will Smith. Um, less penalties, uh, all that good stuff. Um 
this, the question here, there's a question from Spencer Myers. Uh, do we do we need to see more from the offensive first team to understand this offense, or is Zach hiding most of what we'll see? And that that can be actually also asked about the defense because a lot of times defenses don't give they they usually go vanilla throughout the preseason. But um, I don't know. Do you do you buy into that notion? I, I think we've seen more of the defense than we have the offense, specifically last week with how much. How much stunts and, and different exotic um, rushes they're using against Washington? That I think is an indicator of what we're going to see going forward. And, and, and scheming guys to opportune pass rushing opportunities, like the carry went sack was off of a stun, I believe. Um, one of the Andrew Brown pressures was off, was off a stun. Uh, Jordan Willis and Reynold Wren were the stunt men in providing some of those sacks. So I think defensively, we've seen a, a lot of, of what's going to be in the regular season. But for the offense, I hope it's vanilla. I hope it's vanilla right now because. If this is what the playbook actually looks like, which I doubt it is, it's not really anything different from last year. So I think we still have seen, we, we've yet to see the full capability of what this offense is, and particularly because you have Josh Malone playing for AJ Green and Cody Core playing for John Ross. So obviously you're not going to pull out everything that you plan on for those starters with, with, with the guys who are playing for them right now because they just can't do the things that the starters can do. So I think we've seen more of the defense than the offense at this point, and that's honestly a good thing. So one of the things I'm keeping an eye on this week, uh, and this was something we talked about, maybe having a, a little discussion about or doing a segment on, but um, I don't, I don't think it needs to be harbored on that much. But the the interesting way the Bengals are approaching Jeff Driscoll and his skill set. Obviously, Jeff Driscoll is a really good athlete. He uses his legs well. He's uh, run the ball well. He can he can throw a little bit here uh, <laughs> as quarterbacks as quarterbacks need to, but. Um, I'm noticing that the Bengals, at least in practice, are using him on special teams, at wide receiver, obviously as a quarterback. It's almost like Taysom Hill of the Saints. And Taysom Hill, if, you, if you're if you not familiar with him, he's, he's a pretty big dude. Um, and he is a guy that a lot of times on fourth and one, that he'll kind of do a little wildcat type of formation. He does some things on special teams. He's a really unique player in the NFL. Um, in a lot of ways, a throwback guy. In a lot of ways kind of a, a creation of new innovative coaching. I, I don't know. Do, is this, is this how Jeff Driscoll is going to make the roster as a Taysom Hill kind of guy, or is it just, you know, it's going to be Finley and Dalton and that's, that's that. Yes. This is how he's going to make the roster. If he does make the roster, there you go. Like, yeah. like they're going to carry, if they're going to keep Driscoll, he's going to be kind of a quarterback. But like you said, he's going to be used in various other ways besides just backing up Dalton and Finley. And honestly, the, the good thing about only carrying two quarterbacks is that it allows you to, to max up on the positions of your strengths. Like, if you keep two quarterbacks, then you're able to keep seven wide receivers. And you're able to keep a guy like Damian Willis and Auden Tate. You're able to keep ten defensive linemen, so you keep both Kerry Wynn, Jordan Willis, and Andrew Brown all, 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 all together in that sense. So, like, I understand what they're trying to do with Driscoll because they realize that Finley is the guy and he's ascended to the spot that they want him to be. Like, he was always going to make it, but it was just a matter of, if they need to continue having Driscoll because Finley's not there yet, Finley is there, so they don't need Driscoll as the quarterback. And, but I think they're just being doing right by him, recognizing his extended value beyond just the passer as an athlete, as a receiver, a special teamer, and as a running quarterback. So I understand what they're trying to do, but is it worth it for? Is it really, is it worth it by you know detrimenting the roster in, in other areas of their strengths and releasing potentially one or two very quality players at at your positions of strengths? I'm not sure that it is. But if they really want to, you know, to go forward with this plan, they better utilize 
Travis Driscoll during the regular season on you know every single week and multiple plays a week for it to be worth it for cutting a very talented player out of the wide receiver defensive line. Yeah, and obviously his roster spot might be determined upon AJ Green's injury situation, what they do on offensive line. You mentioned maybe some of the guys that kill two birds with one stone from a roster spot perspective. Um, all of that has to take be taken into account. So uh, interesting stuff with what's going on with Jeff Driscoll and, and a lot of things as the Bengals are set to host the New York Giants for what's known as the dress rehearsal. So probably the most extensive action from starters that you'll see. Um, some faces will probably be returning. Some will not. So, uh, you know, still going to be a very interesting game and, and definitely worth watching. We had some more in the live YouTube chat say, oh, I got tickets to go. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to go tomorrow. So have a good time. Be safe if you're going. That's going to about wrap it up for us, John. Any, any final thoughts before we, uh, we close up shop? It's been a whirlwind episode to be sure. I think we'll share this final thought. I was shocked as anyone when I heard that Cedric Benson had died, um, fortunately with them. Motorcycle crash. I believe it was Emmanuel uh, Emmanuel Acho, former player now, and it was just said he saw him about three weeks ago, just chilling with his family, eating ice cream, and didn't want to approach him. But um, I guess it's just kind of perspective of how how quickly these things can come, kind of come up on this. But um, Benson, I, I, I got a jersey from him because I think it was after that 2009 season, and the 2009 season is obviously. The, the one year that I, I think immediately pops the Bengals fans' minds, he had almost you know almost 1,500 rushing yards on 300 over 300 attempts. I think he was probably the last uh, bell cow running back to carry a team to a six and zero division record, and that, that that season was completely on the back of none other than Cedric Benson. And when when former players and coaches talk about him, they always talk about how hard of a worker he was and how committed he was in, in, in practice in the locker room, but like the guy was not a very special athlete by any means or sense of the word, but just the, just watching him play exemplified how hard of a worker he was because he wasn't four or five fast, but he he ran harder than anybody else. And for, for a guy his size, that was impressive to watch and how um, and how incredible his workload was with the Bengals because the passing game was was so limited at that time, and it was also when Carson Palmer's like arm was falling apart yeah. due to injuries. But the work that Benson put in for the Bengals was incredible to watch and to just one of the real last true bell cows of like the of like the early or of the decade of the 2000s so just just an incredible player to watch just run hard every single of his 300 plus snaps for two consecutive years and you know it's, it's just sad to sad to hear the news of, of his passing thank you for bringing that up and uh you know we had planned to talk about that and i'm, I'm glad you you reminded me about that you know i I'll take a quick trip kind of down memory lane and I don't want to rehash some of the things that you spoke about because obviously I remember a lot of those. If for those, uh, I think John, you retweeted it. There was a, a tweet that was put out maybe by Dove Clayman, um, yeah. t- talking about the, uh, when, when Benson faced the bears, I think it was in 09, late in 09 yeah. and the bears were pretty, pretty garbage at that point anyway. But that was a, game where you saw a guy that was just running possessed and you know what was really interesting and I was thinking about this in in 2009 if you remember the Bengals had said Benson and then I think that same year they did they grabbed Larry Johnson and and Larry Johnson had to fill in 
uh, and and kind of be a backup guy. And he ended up having a, a really big play against San Diego, then the San Diego Chargers. I was at that game, so I remember that. Um, and, you know, uh, just a, you know, kind of a crazy year. And I think back and, and said, said Benson, aside from, you know, being a, a pretty good guy, went on the team and, and a good teammate, kind of smiling a lot, a low-key guy. Um, said Benson is kind of embodied and validated Mike Brown's stance on the scrap heap free agency approach. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, he, that if, if you wonder why Mike Brown goes after these former high picks and hopes to get them on the cheap and, and get maybe a couple of good years out of them, look back to Cedric Benson. It doesn't always work out for the Bengals. And I'm quite frankly, more often than not, it doesn't, um, you know, I, I can, I can think of, uh, a, a bunch of different examples. There was a former Bills linebacker um, that they tried to bring. He was a former Maybe top. Awesome. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Um, you know, just a number of di- – Aaron Maven is, is the guy I'm thinking of. Uh, oh, they tried yeah. to bring him in. You know, they, they've done this before. And said Benson was a, a guy as to uh, – that validated Mike Brown's stance in this scrap heap approach. And sometimes it's frustrating, but sometimes it works out nicely. Um, said Benson was one of those guys and, and was a good story for the Bengals. And, um, you know, it was a big reason for the Bengals making the playoffs in, in definitely in 09 and, and in 2011 as well. And I thought you made a good point, John, in terms of he was a guy that really helped prop up the quarterback situations in those two respective playoff years, right? You had Carson Palmer yeah. who had the elbow injury in 08 and then later in 09 had the thumb injury. And if you look at, you know, kind of later in the year, he was, he was handing, he was handing the ball off odd. And it, I don't know how they made that work. That was just weird. But um, you know, there was that situation. And then of course, in 2011, the the transition to, to Andy Dalton. So um, you know, just a real shame guys, my age, um, or was my age when he passed away. So that that's just, it's crazy. And, uh, life is short. You got to enjoy it. And unfortunately said Benson's was, was very short, but he will be remembered. And unfortunately that 2009 team, that 2009 Bengals team now has experienced even more heart heartbreak. You know, Chris Henry died that year. The team kind of rallied around that a little bit. Uh, and then now a few years later, you've got Cedric Benson, another big uh, figure from that team that, that's gone. So um, pretty yeah, sad news. But what, what it, was, it was it? It was 10 years ago, and I completely forgot about how great Benson was in the playoff game. We never mentioned, like, good performances from Bengals in playoff games, but the dude had 169 rushing yards on 21 attempts against the Jets. Yeah. They lost by 10 because – Palmer played pretty bad, and Revis stepped up, and I think Sean Green from the Jets ran wild with the game, but he, he was that was his best game of the year according to PFF. And my God, but to, to have a Bengals player just step up in a playoff game is is unheard of. So that only adds, in my opinion, to, to his legacy of, uh, as a player. Yeah, I mean, any other time you you run twenty one times for one hundred sixty nine yards at home in a playoff game, you win the game. So. Right. Um, uh, go figure that one out, but uh, rest in peace. We're just getting a lot of RIP in the, uh, in the YouTube chat and uh, said Benson will be missed. And um, you know, unfortunately some, some bad news recently came our way and the Bengals hopefully remember him the right way. So 
um, whether that's a decal on the helmet, like Jason Von Stein says, or some other way. Hopefully they, they do something to honor him this season. That's going to do it for us tonight. As I mentioned, you can get the show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Megaphone. It's on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. There will be some updates uh, regarding the show and the, the Cincy Jungle podcast, the SB Nation uh, podcast. So we'll be definitely getting those to you. We appreciate the feedback. We appreciate all the live listeners and to all of those who listen to the show after the fact. Have a great rest of the week enjoy the dress rehearsal from the from the Bengals hosting the giants we will be talking about that uh we'll be doing some post-game reactions after the game thursday evening join us on cincy jungles facebook live and if you're unable to do that the audio and video will be uploaded to our channel so you can check it out after the fact thanks everybody have a good rest of the week